From the Orange County Fire Authority, this is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host, OCFA's Assistant Chief of Organizational Planning, Mike Schrader. All right, welcome back to uh, OCFA Pass Along Podcast. Uh, We're doing a little something different this episode. We're releasing a new video newsletter this week. Uh, which features a lessons learned segment from the Bel Air Fire in Irvine on July 7th, led by Incident Commander uh, Battalion Chief Ken Harrison. Now, this episode of the Pass Along podcast will also feature a longer version of that interview with Chief Harrison, where he describes in more detail some of the tactics used during the fire and additional information. So watch the video newsletter segment for that, listen to the podcast, or do both. Uh, there's great information in both of those uh, forms of uh, communication. I think you'll find them meaningful. All right, here's a little preview of that interview. This house was a typical two-story single-family dwelling in the city of Irvine. Uh, but what, what was not typical was the amount of smoke and fire that was coming out of this uh, residence on the downstairs portion, especially being 5.30 in the afternoon. All right, but before we get on to the full interview, let's cover some news and uh, noteworthy items. Uh, first, I wanted to talk about the Board of Directors' uh, last meeting. Uh, we met on last Thursday, the 27th of July. And we had the opportunity and honor to uh, honor a uh, Avalon City Fire Captain, John Meffert, who assisted the passenger of the small plane that crashed on the 405 on June 30th. The OCFA would like to recognize you and thank you for your selflessness and heroic actions, your fast thinking and caring efforts resulted in a positive outcome for those patients. Thank you so much for the honor and, uh, and it's a privilege to be in front of you today. The brotherhood that we share uh, and the trust that day with the first responding uh, crew that arrived uh, to trust in me of just saying that I work for a fire department. The trust in the training that I think we all do uh, across the country. It was just uh, really nice to know that uh, he trusted in me that day. But thank you again for having me. And uh, it's just a pleasure to serve and it doesn't matter if we're on duty or off duty. So thank you. The board also approved converting 53 uh, existing positions from being funded by overtime to full-time spots. And this is really going to help uh, in the overfilling of the academy so that we can hire 50 um, trainees or recruits uh, into the next uh, academy, both Academy 45 and 46. And that will help us then lessen some of the forcing impacts to the members. And these 53 positions, some of them are frozen. Some of them were positions that we had filled in the past. Um, you know, on truck 43 or truck 34, some of these fourth position truck spots, and then um, just over the over the course of time, didn't fully uh, bring up to speed. So they, they existed on the books, and we did, can, did continued in constant staffing. Um, but at the end of the day, it caused more forcing. So now we're actually going to have those positions fully funded. We'll hire for them in the academy, and ultimately that will ferret out a lessening of forcing, uh, which obviously I, I can imagine. Um, everybody in operations be uh, glad that that's coming. Third, I wanted to talk about the Dispatcher Academy 13. It's uh, finishing up this week, and uh, they'll be graduating, I believe, on it's be August 3rd at 5 p.m. in the OC Fair boardroom. And we have seven recruits that will be graduating after the intense three-week academy where we baptism by fire into uh, uh, all things OCFA. They, they get certified in emergency medical dispatching, and then they spend uh, the better course of 11 months under the watchful eye of like a training officer, a communications training officer, who will guide them uh, through the, kind of the on-the-job training. Um, they really look at three major areas called taking, tactical, and primary, and then they become certified in each one and can move through to then fill uh, the spots that are open up in dispatch. 
Last but not least, and something I know that you're interested in, is the uh, tractor-drawn aerial status. Obviously, Truck 71's in service, Truck 43's in service, now Truck 40, uh, 64 rather is in service. Last but not least, Truck 61 will be going into service um, shortly. Without further ado, though, I wanted to uh, get to our feature segment, which is a lessons learned uh, on the Bel Air fire in Irvine with um, Battalion Chief Ken Harrison, who was the IC on the fire. On July's, Friday, July 7th at about, uh, I think it was about 5.30 in the afternoon, we were just sitting down to have dinner at Station 36, and we got a call for a structure fire in the city of Irvine. Your typical structure response, so uh, everybody hustled out. We got on, on the, uh, the rigs and we started rolling towards the fire. While we're en route, all the typical things that you would think about with a structure fire, time of day, where are we going, all those different things. Again, keep in mind, this is about dinner time in uh, you know, a well-populated city. Dispatch comes back and they give us some additional information that states uh, there's a hysterical uh, homeowner on the phone and states that her pets are still in the house, though she's out of the house. Right about that time, we're starting to get closer to the incident and you notice uh, a large dark header, a column of smoke, and we're still a, maybe a half mile out, which is, as most of you know, indicates most likely we have a working structure fire. So as I continue to proceed, engine uh, 126, Captain Lundquist, he's observing the same thing, requests it to be upgraded to a working structure fire as appropriate, and we continue in. Uh, shortly after that, the way that my route takes me, I'm driving down a street where I can visualize the rear of the involved home between two other residences, and I see heavy, heavy fire and smoke coming out of the back of the residence. Captain, a fifth engine, I want them off ranch ground, checking the exposure to the rear. Uh, Captain Lundquist arrives on scene within seconds after that. Gives an excellent size up, report on conditions, establishes himself as Bel Air Command, and goes to work. 126 is on scene, two story single family residence with uh, fire coming out of the uh, Bravo side, smoke coming out the front door, homeowners outside. 126 will be assuming Bel Air Command. Uh, we're going to make an initial attack. I've got room for the truck uh, right up front. Checking in engine, I'm going to go ahead and make you uh, interior with my fire crew. Engine 126 to secure the water supply. This house was a typical two-story single-family dwelling in the city of Irvine. Uh, but was, what was not typical was the amount of smoke and fire that was coming out of this uh, residence on the downstairs portion especially being 5.30 in the afternoon. Engine 36 is, is in front of me. Uh, they report in to Captain Lundquist as Bel Air Command, and he assigns them the uh, position of interior, gives him his two firefighters plus the crew from Engine 36, and they, they go to work on a very aggressive interior firefight. Uh, I arrive on scene. Captain Lundquist and I have a face-to-face -face communication. It's very brief. I then assume command and I direct him, since we already have a supervisor in the interior uh, position, I direct Captain Lundquist to uh, take another attack line and between he and the engineer off of engine 36, they uh, placed a two and a half inch exposure line between the house of, that was uh, involved and the what we'll call the Bravo structure will become Division Bravo later to the left. 
there was heavy fire exposed on that house at that same time. I had a quick meeting with the homeowner who explained to me, and I'm sure many of you can imagine this, she comes up and she says, the house is gone, I don't care about the house, the only thing I care about is our family dog is in the second story bedroom there to the front, and she po points to the front balcony over the, the garage area, which you'll, you'll see in some of the pictures. So the third in engine that arrives there is engine 37. I direct them to uh, take a ground ladder, make access through that balcony and take another attack line up and over the balcony into that bedroom with the objective of trying to locate the dog and bring it out the front. Again, we have heavy, heavy fire and smoke that is uh, throughout the downstairs at this point. So the incident continued to uh, evolve as any would. It was upgraded to a working structure fire early on, as I stated earlier, and crews arrived on scene and did a, just an outstanding job, uh, very, uh, very well orchestrated and uh, very aggressive actions to get ventilation handled with truck six, assuming vent group, truck 43 uh, working for them. We ended up having four inch and three quarter lines on the interior, a two and a half off the Bravo or left side, an inch and three quarter off the Delta side, which was also beginning to uh, be heavily exposed to fire. And then engine six and truck four, which became division Charlie under engine six's leadership to the rear of the structure where we also had uh, the fence burning, there was an outdoor storage area that was burning. The fire load was extremely heavy, and that'll be some of the things that we'll discuss in the lessons learned. Uh, through, as this fire evolved, and uh, you know, within our policies, it says that after two bottles, or approximately 30 to 45 minutes of work, crews will go through the formal rehab process. Being a working assignment, we had service support one that was dispatched to the incident. And by the time crews reached this point, we had set up rehab out across the street in front of the address side or the office side of the structure. So crews started to go through rehab. And this is um, definitely one of the, the first lessons learned for, for me, that is. Uh, so crews are going through the rehab process and they start to exhibit signs of extreme fatigue. I had mentioned earlier that the crews did an outstanding job of, of just extremely aggressive firefighting. I've heard some say that they feel, may feel that OCFA is not an aggressive firefighting agency. Uh, every single person that was on this incident proved that wrong and everybody uh, really gave 150%. And uh, the success of this incident goes to all of them. But so as crews became, um, or it became evident the crews were extremely fatigued, then they were remained in rehab and then we would have to supplement them with, you know, with other, other crews. And it, my philosophy is if one person is out, then I need to consider the status of the rest of the crews. And it came to me when I had an experienced captain come up to me at the command post to tell me that his firefighter was extremely fatigued. He was in rehab and he wasn't going to be able to re-engage. And I looked in this captain's eyes, if you will, looked at his face and I could tell, all right, you're not saying it, but you're, you're done as well. 
So that kind of began a uh, cascade of events, if you will. Well, first off, I'm going to need an additional medic unit, and I need one more company uh, for relief. So after the first firefighter with overexertion, signs and symptoms, uh, nausea, dizziness, those sorts of things, uh, then I got a second one. Then we had a firefighter come up that was on the, one of the initial attack lines that had experienced uh, some minor burns to his hands. Uh, I believe it was through a contact injury. But the, the challenge then was, all right, those crews are no longer able to re-engage in the firefighting and having the relief crews. Now, back up to when the initial size-up was done. I said that there was heavy smoke and fire when we arrived first on scene. And the initial working assignment handled the fire in an excellent fashion. The fire was contained to the house of origin. So kudos to, to them. And that's really between the initial, right from the initial size up and establishing command and the aggressive actions. Uh, those are the things that, that made this incident a success. The engineer, Tony Acuna, on engine 126 was phenomenal in the, the method by which he established his own water supply and ended up supporting six inch and three quarter lines, a two and a half line, and made all of these things happen to continue the, the um, operations on scene. The teamwork with Irvine PD. Irvine PD was right there at the command post and what they were doing as far as traffic control, crowd mitigation, all those things. Again, it's dinner time in the city of Irvine, so needless to say, we have a lot of, a lot of people uh, watching and, and uh, at times getting in the way of our, our incident. But as I look at being the incident commander, looking in the mirror and saying, why, um, why did things go the way they did? I realized there was a couple uh, indicators, if you will, that maybe I overlooked initially. When we arrived first on scene, the first one would have been the amount of fire that existed. As I look back on it, for five o'clock in the afternoon in the city of Irvine, it didn't add up. There was too much smoke and fire out of this residence that was occupied at the time the fire was discovered. That contributed to the overexertion in the sense that uh, crews were having to work extremely hard, but they did, and they were successful. But had I taken a second and just asked myself the question, why is there so much fire? We came come to learn later it was due to the excessive fire load on the interior, on both exterior sides and the backyard. As we walked around afterwards in the overhaul phase, there was just extreme fire loading inside and outside of the house. The other thing was, it, while it wasn't a hot day, it was only about 90 degrees, the humidity level was very high. So the impact that took upon the crews, again, having worked as hard as they did and being successful in that operation, but I did not account for um, having enough crews on deck, if you will. As I look at this, uh, and the units that we had assigned, a working fire assignment was adequate for this residence. However, having the additional companies for the rehab component, should it be necessary as it was in this case, uh, if I could do it over, I would, I would probably go to a second alarm so that I would have those companies in reserve. 
I ended up ordering four more additional engine companies and eventually four ambulances. My philosophy is when we have a working fire, I always request a code to ambulance simply for standby. But as these individuals were impacted in rehab and subsequently then they were transported to the hospital, they were all in uh, a mild status, if you will, other than the minor burns to the hand. Uh, however, they're going to get an ALS escort in an ambulance and each time I sent someone off scene, I needed to bring another unit in to replace them so we had them on, on standby. So in retrospect, uh, having additional companies there earlier uh, would, have, would have been beneficial, but all the companies uh, were able to perform to their functions. Another thing is the implementation of a RIC team. We have a policy that's very clear on when RIC is established. When Historically, when we went to the fourth engine and second truck, the idea was that they would assume that RIC position. Early on in the incident, uh, there was just too much work to be done, too much fire with the building involved and the exposures. And my philosophy is the safest thing that we can do for our firefighters, for each other, our teammates, is to make the fire go out. The sooner the fire goes out, the sooner our level of danger is lessened. So RIC was not established until later when I could get truck four, which was assigned to the Charlie side, uh, re relocated to the front, and then RIC was established. But again, I look at those things as the lessons learned for, for myself and what I might do different in the future, you would have to look at the pictures, the conditions, and ask yourself what you would do in a similar situation. In the end, uh, the crews did a fantastic job. They kept it to the house of origin. Unfortunately, the, the family pets did perish, but the family was very grateful for what we were able to save in, in the home. We were able to keep it to that house or the uh, area of origin, if you will. Neither of the other houses uh, experienced any fire damage other than burnt fences. And all four firefighters that uh, suffered injuries to various degrees were rapidly transported, treated, and ultimately released that same evening to, to go home. So I believe they were treated very well. Some of the other things that were critical when I had Battalion 3, uh, Chief Spencer come in as the second NBC. Initially, I utilized him as a uh, just simply a second set of eyes. I asked him to do a 360, tell me what I was missing. He came back with, with some intel that we operated off of. And then once the, uh, the rehab component got elevated, I moved Chief Spencer into rehab officer position. At this, by that point, we had kind of gotten a knockdown on the fire. I pulled engine 27 in to work underneath him as the medical unit. And then engine 38 and 51 were brought in subsequently as uh, individuals were transported off scene. So the way the organizational chart looked was we had an interior division, we had a vent group, a division Bravo to the left, Charlie to the rear, Delta to the right, and then eventually a, a full rehab uh, section with multiple care units. I believe we had four care ambulances in total. Uh, we never had more than two on scene at any time and we had one or two medic units assigned to them again working under the medical unit leader engine 27. So all those things worked very well in my opinion and they worked in accordance with what our policies and procedures expect. So in the end we say everybody goes home safe. They did.
and we minimized the damage to the community. So hats off to every individual that was on that fire. Uh, you really proved yourself on that one and you proved the, the quality of this organization. So for that, as the incident commander, I thank you. All right, well, thank you, uh, Chief Harrison, for sitting down with us and talking about the fire. I wanna thank all the crews who do such a great job on this particular incident. And then also, um, wanted to thank all the crews again who did uh, such an amazing job on the airport emergency. Speaking of which, the next two podcasts, we're actually gonna talk about airport emergencies and we'll cover the lessons learned on the plane crash on the 405. So, so be sure to look out for that. Uh, I think you'll find that interesting as well. Until then, uh, let's watch out for each other and we'll talk to you soon.